This episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links and for becoming patrons at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Answer your questions or clear up all your misconceptions. Stay right there, let me answer your questions or clear up all your misconceptions. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up. Welcome to the Tome, a DD news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 292, we are hopping on the back of a dinosaur and racing through the jungles to stop the soulmonger from killing off the resurrected Among Us. And joining us for this review is the co-host of the wonderful Performance Check podcast, available here at thetomeshow.com. Welcome back, Jonathan Green. Hey, how's it going? It's fantastic. And also rejoining us, the most charismatic guest that we haven't had on in nearly too long, uh, it's the wonderful Allison Rossi. Welcome back. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me back. I'm glad to be here. I'm always glad to have Allison Rossi on. <laughs> uh, and to just give a quick intro, uh, we're going to be reviewing the product Tome of Annihilation. It's the latest in the Watsi produced storylines. At this time, we're shifting focus away from the Sword Coast region of the Forgotten Realms, the Jungles of Cholt. It follows a similar format to previous stories in that it is an homage to a classic adventure while standing alone as a completely new adventure. We generally assume that it, we're reviewing an adventure. If spoilers are going to matter to you, then you shouldn't be listening to a review of the adventure. And before we dive into that, to the review of that adventure, we want to say thank you to our Patreon patrons. We have several new patrons in the last few weeks. So in addition to the tried and true, like Stephen Robertson, Leonard Peltier, Jeremiah McCoy, Robert Aducci, Matt Bible, Doug Palmer, and Mark Richman. We also want to thank our newer patrons, Andrew Harshman, Christopher Gray, and Lewis Britton. So, full disclosure, I got a review copy of this book, which is normal uh, for me at this point, but I always like to make that clear to people that I, uh, well, I try to be honest with my reviews. I want you to know uh, I did not pay for the book. Uh, anybody else get free copies? Usually not. Sadly not. Just me. Okay. I wish. That's the perks of running a podcast. So you too can get free books if you just create a podcast and run it for over a decade. So. I'll get started <laughs> right on yeah, that. Get, get on it now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So let's start with Tomb of Annihilation uh, and talk about, you know, what is it? What's this story about? What is the Tomb of Annihilation? What's going on here? Uh, who wants to take on that, that heady task? So the basic idea of Tomb of Annihilation is that, uh, like all the other Watsi adventures, it takes place in the Forgotten Realms, but mysteriously... Not all of them. Don't forget Strahd. Oh, good point. Sorry. (laughs) With one very notable exception. Um, But yeah, the basic idea is resurrection magic has stopped working. No one can be brought back from the dead. No one can be reincarnated. And everyone who ever has been is slowly wasting away and dying. Um... Eventually they find out that that's because of something that's going on in Chult. And way deep in the darkest jungle, there's an abandoned city called Omu. And below that, in a evil death trap dungeon tomb, uh, there is a machine called the Soulmonger that is stealing the souls from all those people who are resurrected and everyone who dies. And is now being used to try to create a brand new god that will destroy pretty much everything. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Although... Big chunks of that bit of story don't 
become like the the whole Atropol death god being born thing uh, isn't even really hinted at until you get there, right? Yeah, like that's like that's the motivation behind or what kicks everything off, but it doesn't actually come up too much in ninety percent of the adventure. Oh, at least ninety percent. So, so generally speaking, what do we think of the story before we get into the specific pieces of it? Because it, it does seem to follow several very specific sort of concrete chunks, you know. Uh, so overall, though, what are, what are our initial thoughts? So my initial thoughts when it was first announced was extreme excitement because it's not the Sword Coast. It's something completely different. Um, There's dinosaurs involved. There's also zombie dinosaurs involved. um, And there's just kind of this new setting that uh, as someone who's still relatively new to D&D, I've never experienced. I've never actually, uh, quote unquote, been to uh, on an adventure. So I was extremely excited coming into this. I didn't know what to expect. And since I've gotten the book and I've been reading through it, um, I'm even more excited to, to run it. Um, I would say that it definitely follows the idea of being sandbox and your players kind of can decide where they want to go. Or, you know, as a DM, you can take your own liberties and, and kind of put them on more of a path, you know, depending on how you want to run your games. Mm. Um, I just think there's so many different things that you can introduce to your game with this module. Um, You can run it on hard mode or you can make it a little bit easier. Um, There's a lot of new, like, um, types of NPCs and having guides, and there's a bunch of different new uh, monsters. Uh, There's just... There's so much here. It's a lot to take in. I think it's like 190 pages is the actual like module itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the rest is kind of the appendix- appendices. Um, so it's just, it's a lot to take in, but I'm excited in general for everything that it has to offer. Yeah, you described it uh, as sandboxy, and I think I know where you're coming from there. Although I don't know that story-wise it actually is sandboxy at all. It's It's kind of a throwback to the classic... As much as it's intended to be an homage to the uh, the Tomb of Horrors, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's really, in some ways, both an homage to that and an homage to like the old uh, Isle of Dread sort of stories, right? Where there's this exploration and you've got a map and and it's a bunch of it not filled in and you, and you sort of explore hex by hex and you do a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, and so it feels a little more sandboxy and that you can go anywhere, but there's only really one place you're supposed to go. There's only one thing you're supposed to do. It's kind of a railroad, but you never know where the, how the railroad is going to get there, you know? Yeah, and I think that that's actually a good thing in a way because there's definitely a problem where if you go too far into the sandbox mm. that you, as a DM, it's hard to give your players direction and it's hard to even plan the basics of what's going to happen in the session. At least with, with this, it's the type of sandbox where you have this overarching idea of where they need to go and it's up to your players to essentially decide how they get there at some point in time. Um, you know, if you go too far, uh, I feel like it would just be hard to really tell a compelling story if there's not that overarching idea of what's going on mm-hmm. in the background. There's also a bit of a countdown aspect to it. Yes. Uh, in part because everyone is everyone who has been resurrected is losing uh, some hit points every day until they eventually die. Yeah, that's, die. A, that's a little important uh, <laughs> to keep in mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I kind of had like mixed feelings about that. Uh, I'd love to see how it actually plays. I didn't have a chance to to play it before uh, doing the review, um, but just in terms of through it. Uh, as Allison was pointing out, there's a lot of stuff in there. 
and I'm trying to figure out, given how many hit points some of the like main NPC characters have that we know about, how, how to do all of that given the countdown clock that's on them. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I had some of the, I had the same same issue um, with with actually the premise of you know, sort of the hook of the whole adventure here, uh, in that the idea that everybody who's ever been resurrected is losing like what is it one hit point per day every single day until they die and then they're gone uh, because their soul has been completely sucked into the soul monger where it's then being fed into the atropol and and helping to birth a, a new baby death god um, and so and so. Like, on one hand, the ticking time bomb concept of, of adventure is not new, um, but combining the somebody is dying every single day that you don't solve the, the mystery and save the day with the, and now here's a jungle, wander around and explore, find what cool things are out there sort of storyline. Like, combining those two things together doesn't feel okay to me, you know? Like... There's a lot of people in the world that are going to end up dead, uh, you know, because not everybody who has been resurrected in the entire Forgotten Realms, I imagine, um, is a high-level adventurer with lots of hit points. You know, it might be the the prince or the king of some kingdom who's who's you know statistically you know has a dozen hit points or whatever. Well, you've got like four or five days, and now we've got to like you're going to th- throw a lot of things into upheaval in the world. Um, because you had to go wander around the jungle for three months to, to figure out what the heck was going on, right? Yeah, I think that's definitely a good thing to keep in mind, especially uh, given, like, the stat blocks for, you know, your very uh, basic, like, NPC characters, like the noble or the commoner, you know, they've got, like, 10, 15 hit points, um, so if you kind of think about that, uh, I feel like it's very easy for any of those types of NPCs to kind of be killed off very quickly if you just end up wandering around the jungle for an eternity. Yeah, and I don't, I guess I don't have a problem with like throwing the world into some turmoil because that's what makes these, the stakes of these stories make sense. Um, but it just seems weird because like, the, the idea is that they're they're teleported into a, a city in Chalt, and from there they have to go out and explore the, the jungle, and they find a guide. Uh, but none of the guides or there's, uh, really know what's going on or where to go. Uh, there's no real strong clues anywhere, no matter what like locations you explore and what encounters you bump into out in the jungle. There's not really any clues that the place you need to go to is Omu. And so there's no reason to to rush there. So you just kind of wander around until you bump into it, which means theoretically you may have explored almost the entirety of the jungle of Chalt by the time you get to it. How many months is that going to take? You know, Um, I just feel like there should have they could have sort of snuck in, sprinkled in some clues early on in terms of where the the problem is, where you need to go, how to find it, uh, or backed off a little bit on the ticking time bomb aspect, because there is a lot of really cool stuff to explore, and I kind of wish there was more time to explore it. I think part of the problem, too, is like the adventure... I mean, not necessarily a problem, but part of the thing about the adventure is that it's supposed to start with first-level characters, and I think it's supposed to take you to about ninth. Mm. Let me look at that cover. Uh, first to eleventh, it says. Okay, uh, yeah. So, like, that's that that that's a lot of levels. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and and again, okay, that's a lot of time in the jungle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I say again, that's not un, un unfair or unusual, but it takes yeah, no. time. You know, so. 
one thing that I did enjoy about the hook and the premise is I think for the first time out of really any adventure, it makes sense why it's a bunch of first level characters that are stuck doing this, like a bunch of people who don't know what's going on, mm. because everyone who actually has levels and is, you know, powerful, they've probably been resurrected and they're dying. Or if they haven't, they've got enemies who are going, haha, now you're weak and now I can take advantage and kill you and you can't come back. Um, so, I mean, it's, I get, I get all the frustrations, but one thing that I really loved about this hook and this premise is I suddenly get why these nobody idiots are getting sent off to the jungle to figure out what's going on. It's because everybody competent can't. Mm-hmm. I like and that. I found yeah. that really interesting and I really liked that actually. Yeah. And I think that's fair. Like I, I've, this is the one thing about the entire adventure that kind of, drives me a little bit batty. Everything else is is different degrees of, okay, this is cool, right? Um, but this one thing, this one hook, and I, can't, I, was, I kept brainstorming as I was reading, as I was doing things, I was hitting different parts and getting different sources of inspiration. I kept running into um, other things that you could kind of do to make this work. Um, so, so, for example, I came up with an alternative effect of the Soulmonger that it's not necessarily a hit point per day, but like... Um, it's trapping one soul per day, so it's like one person per day is dying. Okay, well, there's a ticking time bomb, but it's not quite as urgent. You're not going to see masses of people wiped out. Um, and, and then it still affects not being able to be raised and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and those who have been raised not being able to heal. You can still tie all those sorts of effects in there so you don't lose some of those story elements that exist, like some of the characters who are like, hey, we need you to fix this because I'm dying. Um, I feel like I feel like putting it down to only one soul per day, though, kind of ruins the urgency of it. And I feel like oh, some of the issues I've had with previous modules that I run is that there isn't a great enough sense of urgency mm. for the players, and they don't feel like they need to really get to the story. They can just kind of do whatever they want and go wherever. And there's not really, you know, uh, something that's that's urging them on to do this. They're not worried about a loved one at home that's mm-hmm. going to, that, that might be sick and dying. And what happens if they die? Where does their soul go? There, there's none of that in other modules, but this one does have that. And I feel like it allows you to really drive your players by their emotions, not even just as as characters in the game, but as actual, you know, other humans where it's like, okay, these these souls are going to be sucked into the soulmonger and then what happens? You know, in, in the Forgotten Realms there are, are deities that intervene with everyday lives of people. You know, in in the realms it's real. Religion is real. And it's kind of like, does this make them kind of want to to go to the ends of the earth or go through this <laughs> jungle mm-hmm. of Cholt to try and save all these people whose souls in the game will, you know, be sucked into the soul longer. I, I just feel like by kind of nerfing, I guess, the amount of souls that sure. are, are consumed lessens that urgency. Yeah, and I think it does. And I think that's that was my intent in coming up with it because I I think the, the wide open jungle exploration and that urgency don't fit. So that was one solution. The other solution was laying in a, a sort of arc of clues that lead the, the players to Omu faster. So there's less exploration, uh, but you can keep that sense of urgency. So so and I found that Arctis uh, Simber sort of made a good 
hook into that because from Ark December you can get into the whole we need to save Mesro thing. So then you go off to there. There's a Naga that sort of Oracle that you can visit and, and pass the test. And so they have to run off to the Oracle to find out how to save Mesro. Then you figure out you have to in order to do that you have to defeat Ross and Sea. And Ross and Sea is located in Omu. And now we've found the Soulmonger, right? Um, and so laying out some some more. Um, more specific, more more obvious clues leading you to the the main part of the story um, keeps the sense of urgency while while not killing everybody in the world. You know, um, so that was my. Those were sort of some of my two solutions, or a couple of my solutions. Um, the one of which, like you said, Allison, you're right. It, it does lessen the urgency. The other of which lessens the exploration. And I don't know which one um, I like more because both of those concepts are cool. I just, I, I just don't know how well I like them working together. You know, so. Yeah, the way I changed it in my mind is I just started thinking of most of the book as kind of a sort, a source book or guidebook right. to the area, and then. I would. I didn't have time to do what you did, Jeff. But I would probably would try to figure out, like, what is the more clear path through everything. Right. If if I wanted to keep the urgency. Yeah, and the other sense of urgency that I thought of, and and it could it's a more false sense of urgency because it's not like a, a, a an actual ticking clock like the hit point thing is. Um, was if you if it was more clear. So Jonathan mentioned. Um, that the ultimate thing that started the whole process that you never find out about until you actually get down to the last level of the of the last dungeon uh, is that Asararak is trying to to raise a new death god and feeding it these souls. Um, that's a pretty big deal too. Like if if people if play if adventurers good the good guys the heroes supposedly knew about that early on. That might put a little kick in their step, too, of, oh, my gosh, if we don't hurry up, there's going to be a death god tromp- tromping around killing everybody. You know, that's kind of a big deal as well. So I, I just I didn't think through exactly how how to get that introduced without, you know, changing the story significantly. So. All right. Yeah, that- I mean, that, that's a good point. Definitely. All right, so so that's my rant on on sort of the hook, the premise, and and the the issues I have mashing up um, exploration with the ticking time bomb story. Those are two classic stories. Those are two classic adventures in D anD. I just don't know how well I like them working together. I guess um, to a degree, this is them trying to do sort of the uh, as as uh, it's called at one point the meat grinder sort of adventure anyway. So lots of of people dying and and massive turnover and that kind of stuff, I guess, is just going to be, is, is, is maybe part, a feature, not a flaw. Yeah. And if I, if I may, Jeff, I think, because I know how, why I'm doing this, and I think this it's similar to why you're doing it. There's a lot I really like in the entire book. Yeah. And that was like, it was like, oh man, like, I just don't know. I can't wrap my head around how this actually works. And that's why I said, I, I do wish I had been able to play it, because who knows, maybe in play, it would be just fine. It comes together better, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and and yeah, that's absolutely why I'm why I'm I'm doing this, right? I have now gotten all of my concerns out of the way because everything else is going to be me ranting about all the cool stuff. And I want to do all the cool stuff and I don't know that I have time to do all the cool stuff. So So shall we get into the cool stuff? Let's do it. Alright, let's talk about the jungle exploration piece. So so like we said, there's this whole um this whole concept of you're teleported into into the city. Uh, uh, what, what's the name of the city? 
Nyan something or other. Port Nyanzaru. Yeah. yeah. So you're you're teleported into the into Port Nyanzaru, and uh, I feel like in the lead up and in the hype to the adventure, they spent a lot of time talking about all the cool stuff you could do just hanging out in Port Nyanzaru, um, which again is a lot of cool stuff that I want to give players the option to do. But I can't imagine players spending time like engaging in dinosaur races when you know people are dying every day. Um, so, so there is a lot of cool stuff in Port Nyanzaru. What what kind of stuff is going on in Port Nyanzaru? What do you guys like there? Uh, so the uh, the dinosaur races are a, a very neat thing. There's uh, in, there's potential for a lot of uh, weird conflict between the various merchant princes and the outside influences. If you want to really get into the politics of this, because uh, every merchant prince has their own monopoly over something. And everyone's, you know, there's always a black market or people trying to undermine it or, you know, muscling on someone else's territory. So if you've got players that really enjoy politics, there's a lot of interesting things that you can do here. Uh, but the other big thing that you get out of Port Nianzaro is you can hire a guide. And these are the only people that can really kind of take you to specific locations out, out in the jungle to keep you from just wandering aimlessly. Uh, and I feel like that's where things can get very interesting here because different guides have different goals will help the party in different ways um like there's actually one of the guys who knows exactly where omu is mm. but she won't tell the party until she realizes the party oh these people are actually worthwhile yeah all right let me take you there um so i think that's kind of where uh, it can get interesting but the other weird thing is all these guides actually cost a lot of money um so that's so i feel like players have some options to either cut some interesting deals or maybe this is where the dinosaur racing can come into effect of like uh, guys we need to we need to earn some money hey uh steve the halfling do you think you can ride a tyrannosaur <laughs> how well do you think you can ride a tyrannosaur <laughs> okay um and i feel like i don't know but it's fun. gonna be fun finding out <laughs> yes that's that's what my party's gonna be doing probably right. in two weeks from now there you go yeah, no, and I think the the concept of the guides is really cool. The idea that there's all these different guides and they all have their own own sort of little um, motives and where they want to go and and how they're going to get the party to go there and and that kind of stuff. Um, and so yeah, there's a lot of cool things to do with the guides. They're interesting personalities. Um, the and the idea it, it, that's an, a, a more sandboxy element, like Allison and mentioned, um, because you can literally pick any of those guides to be your guide and and still play through the adventure and get eventually where you need to be. Uh, well, in, in theory, <laughs> there's the one set of guides. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, and some of them, like um, there was the one guide that was basically like. They're just going to try to take you to this pirate city. They're they're they want you to go to this pirate city and deal with these pirates. So that's where they're going to keep trying to like encourage you to to go check out. Uh, and the, and so they they kind of have their different motivations, uh, and they eventually lead you. Um, in theory, you eventually end up being led to to sort of where you need to go. Yeah, and they do have ha- handouts for the guides, which mm-hmm. I thought was pretty cool. And one thing I noticed, and I don't know if I've noticed this in earlier products, they really tried to do the, uh, what was it? Bond flaw. The, the three things the that bond, you can have. Bond flaw ideal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the, even the NPCs, mm. which I, I, I found really useful in this adventure at least. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good point. Yeah. I don't remember that being a thing, uh, in previous 
adventures. Uh, occasionally, it would show up like some of the uh, like some of the storm giant NPCs you could play in Storm King's Thunder had that. So it was here and there, but it wasn't consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe it was also on like Death House. I think that uh, the two little kids in Death House had like their kind of like flaws or certain personality traits to mm-hmm. act out. But certainly, if you're going to have an NPC around for a decent amount of time, having that kind of role-playing touchstone as a DM, I I would imagine, would be very useful to me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I think that throughout the module, like especially when they get to um, the different parts where you can kind of be almost possessed by the spirits Mm -hmm. um, later on, like having those, those ideals or or flaws or whatever it may be to, to act out and kind of give your own players hints on, on how to act out, uh, I think can add a lot of fun uh, to the characters Mm -hmm. um, and, and how, you know, these NPCs are being played out. So it's, it's nice little tidbits, definitely Mm -hmm. for role play. Yeah, the, uh, and as much as I like the guides and I like the fact that they've added in these role-playing tips or whatever, the only sort of hesitation I have with the guides – here I am being negative again. The only hesitation I have with the guides is that um, the the adventures so far that Watsi's put out have not been very hesitant to add uh, what are effectively DMPCs. Uh, you know, uh, out of the abyss, you the DM ends up having to play yes. a, almost a whole party of NPCs with the party, uh, and now you've got another PC that you uh, NPC that you've got to run with the party like through the entire adventure. And I don't want to have to run an NPC through the entire adventure. I want I want to run the entire world and and let the NPCs fade out of out of uh, off screen. So the nice thing, at least with with Out of the Abyss, since I did run that, was that you can give those NPCs to your characters to play. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what I did is I had them kind of pair up with, um, you know, the different prisoners in Out of the Abyss. And then they controlled them, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, within certain confines. Like, you know, I told them that you're not going to go and have them charge into battle and get killed off. Like, that's not how it's going to work out. You'll you'll play it according to their character um, so that I didn't have to be the one playing it. um, And I wasn't talking to myself the entire session. So I think that's kind of how I would do things, at least for for uh, for this module, where if it's an NPC that's maybe the guide I would I would play as, and they would kind of be very set back and not DMPC like. Um, but any others would probably be like, all right, players, you're you're playing this NPC, and they're kind of there. <laughs> well, and that was a strategy that I used in Out of the Abyss as well. And, and then later on, when when you finally get rid of all those those um, extra the NPCs, <laughs> and, you're right. And then, and then it's like, oh, and now you're going back into the Underdark, and here's an army to run. It's like, ah, oh, I just got rid of those guys, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but I found that even then, like my players. Like they they ran them, but they ran them in in a combat sense. There wasn't a lot of role play going on because they were busy role playing their characters, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so I, I don't know. I find I find the 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 tag along NPC to be a bit much. Um, I, I'd rather not have them. I'd rather have NPCs that pop in and then fade out and and you know go in and out. Maybe recurring is fine, right? I just don't need them running around and being in every encounter with the party. So. And, and yeah, that, I feel you there. And it's not necessary here either. Like, you can have the guides up to a point, and then the guides are like, all right, well, that's all I got for you. Bye, you know, or whatever, right? Like, I'm not going in an Omu. I got you here. That's it. See right. you later. Or, you know, I was trying to get you over here to the, this wreckage, and we got to the wreckage, uh, and I've taught you some survival skills along the way. Uh, I don't think you want to keep paying me to just wander the jungle, so I'm going to head back to, to the port now, or whatever, right? Um, I think there's ways of, of making the NPCs relatively short-term to get them get the, the players sort of started, uh, and, then, yeah, and then getting rid of them, so... 
So um, for some of these, so there's, I mean, in addition to just the guides, there's actually a lot of like tag along NPCs, um, like a random gladiator that you can get in Port Nine Zaro, where if you beat him up, then he's like, well, obviously you're cool, so I'm going to hang out, or uh, a Yuanti spy, or even Arct- Artis Simber. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, I and felt dra- like some and Dragon of these... Bait. Don't forget Dragon Bait. Oh yes, of course, and Dragon Bait. Um, <laughs> I feel like in some ways, a lot of these might be, uh, we'll call them spare PCs for if things go badly. Um, because I, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I've read through this adventure. Some of these players are gonna die. Sure. And it's much easier <laughs> to say like, oh, and by the way, now you're dragon bait. Go for it, rather than and suddenly you find a random person who's mysteriously your level and has level appropriate gear and has wandered into the middle of the jungle by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope so, they have enough. Uh, was it anti uh, insecticide on them? Basically. Yeah. yeah no. Oh, yeah, jump. right. Also, I really hope uh, none of them have to play as Dragon Bait because I was reading his stat block and, like, you know, he doesn't—he doesn't talk. Right. He, he, uh, how do they word it? They—they they worded it like he—he he gives off. He thinks really hard about something and he gives off a scent. Right. Um. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I, you know, might be interesting I, for role playing. <laughs> I've got a player who she can't join in right now, but she's going to be joining in in about three or four months into this campaign. And I already know, like, I'm bringing in Artisimber and Dragon Bait specifically so that she can play Dragon Bait because she is going to have so much fun with that. Yeah. Because that's the kind of player <laughs> well, that she's like, she's already excited to play someone who communicates via smell. And if What pe- she has to do is vape. And she yeah. just brings different juices. <laughs> and she vapes out her feelings, you know. Uh, I will suggest this. People who are who are well-versed in Forgotten Realms novels uh, recognize Dragon Bait. He comes from the, the Azure Bonds uh, series from way back in the day. Uh, it was like an 80s, uh, 1980s, I think, um, uh, Forgotten Realms series. And so he, he played prominently in that series. And so um, through there, we also got introduced to the Sorial race, which is what he is. He's like, they're like dinosaur people. And so uh, his smells, his scents, like you can actually go online and find. There's a, a sort of library of his scents to, so if you want him to be expressing anger, there's a smell for that. If he's happy or worried or whatever there are smells for that and so you can you can go through the list of his actual smells uh in canon which could be fun uh, a, a fun way to communicate i think it'd get tiresome eventually and i think playing dragon bait as a pc could be problematic in that he is a race that doesn't exist in fifth edition that i know of at this point you know it hasn't been statted out um but you could you could you know fudge it and, and use the stat block and figure it out so I agree. I think that I think some of the NPCs could very easily step in and become DMPCs. Arctis Simber is another one that you mentioned, uh, and he certainly could be as well. Uh, he's only problematic because he's carrying an artifact. Um, so that becomes a, a thing that you then have to deal with. Is that okay? Now, now you have a, a player playing a character who who has um, a let like not just an artifact, but an artifact that has has played prominently in several adventures now. Uh, of there's people hunting there for this thing all over the world, um, uh, you know. So so that's not a small deal to deal with, you know. Can I say that I think it's fantastic? By the way, going back to Dragon Bait, that uh, when he's nervous or worried, he uh, he shouts the scent of ham. Uh, I just, I don't know. This is just one of the funniest things I've I've read in a while. So I thought mm-hmm. that was very enjoyable. Absolutely, no. I, Dragon Bait would be a, a blast. I think. Uh, I just wonder if it wouldn't get old after four or five sessions. So. And I do think there's a lot of little things in in there that are meant to be kind of like that funny too. The uh, was it Monkey Dance? 
the Mad Monkey Mist, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes you dance like that. That kind of thing. You obviously have to have the right group for it, but mm-hmm. probably quite fun. Yeah, there's a lot, and there's a lot of little homages. Arc December is also uh, not new to the Forgotten Realms. He's been around for for a while. Uh, I think was it James Louder? I think wrote a, wrote a book that involved him and the ring the the ring that he's carrying. Um, you know, so so there's lots of little homages and nods. Uh, do I remember correctly that Volo's actually in Port Nine yes. Zaro as well? I was just about to bring that up that yeah. he's he's giving out signed copies of his books to the merchant princes, and mm-hmm. that the players can buy you know Volo's <laughs> guide from him. Like I go. thought that was great. It's a nice touch. It's a, yeah. So it there's lo- kind of like funny stuff to like a very serious story. Well, and and it's it's. These are the reasons that I enjoy a shared world, right? This is why I enjoy the Forgotten Realms. Not because it it gives me a set canon that I have to adhere to in the world, but it's because you can throw in these little cameos and touches that people can be like, oh, yeah, it's that thing, you know? And and, and it's the same reason I like DC Comics. Not because I want all of my comics to be telling the same story, but because, you know, every now and then when something crosses over and it's like, oh, yeah, I get that. That's kind of cool. Um, you know, so I, I like that they're sort of embracing the opportunity to do that, um, arguably even more so than they have in the past. So, and I also like there was uh, there was I almost forgot had forgotten about Volo when I got by the time I got to the end of the book, uh, but there's a, a section in the conclusion where they're like, here's what happens to all of these different factions and what goes on after the whole thing is over, depending on how it played out. Uh, and one of them is Dragon Bait. Like, what the heck happens to Dragon Bait? And and part of the the issue with Dragon Bait is, well, he runs around with Arcta Simber for a while. If something happened to Arcta Simber, he 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 works his way back to Port Nianzaro. He gets drunk for a while, and eventually he bumps into to Volo, and they go off traveling together. So so he just goes from one famous former uh, adventurer in the realms to to another former famous adventurer. He's never sort of the main character. He's always sort of the lieutenant. He was in his original series as well. So, so uh, we've talked a lot. About that. That's a lot of tangents we went on from having talked about guides in Port Nianzaro. Let's talk about the actual exploration piece. We've talked a little bit about some of the things you run into, but but what do we think about the idea of just sort of exploring through the jungles and bumping into things and and who knows how many possible days of random encounters and then cool featured encounters and yeah. all those kinds of things we might run into. Well, that, and that's probably one uh, a couple things we should talk about is uh, I don't know if they're in the DMs guide as well, but they have. I don't. It sounds like it could be interesting rules for wilderness exploration mm-hmm. in terms of how to handle getting lost and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are tons of random encounters that can be done. Like they, there's a big chart of it that depends on where on the map you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's trying to tell the story through the creatures that live that that you could encounter. Which I thought was critical, but yeah, and that's and that's really important to me. Like, I'm not a big fan of random encounters, but if I can find some way to tie in that random encounter to the larger storyline or to give some hints of something, you know, I, you know, I, I I don't think I'll ever have the encounter in in the jungle of you run into a hunting cat that's trying to kill you, but I might run into you know a hunting cat is is fleeing a pack of undead that are. are uh, you know, s- swarming out of Omu or whatever, uh, in order to, to to give that sort of connection to the larger story and and make it more meaningful, even if it is just a random encounter. 
Yeah, this uh, the whole jungle exploration bit is is one of my favorite things, particularly because the adventure comes with a big fold out map. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, and it's it's a hex based grid. It's all blank in the middle, and I know this is one of those things that my my players like and immediately kind of caught their focus, caught their attention, and they're like, we we've just done a session zero and we're getting ready to start the, start the full thing, but they're already excited. Like one of them is going out and buying colored pencils, and they're like, right, we're gonna explore this thing, we're gonna color it in. This is gonna be great. Like the idea of having this big <laughs> thing that's there for them to explore. Um, and like, you know, they've got, they know some things that are on it. Um, one of my players has taken the, um, the archeologist background on there. Mm. And so he's like, oh, you've got a map of somewhere. So I said, okay, choose one blank hex and write the name, uh, shrine of, uh, Tamachoan. (laughs) And he just did. And so if they end up going there, then I'll, I'll pull out, you know, the, um, what is it? Tales from the Army portal. And that's where the hidden shrine of Tamachoan is. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so, and just the idea of like, oh, we can go there and there's just going to be stuff to explore and ruins. And they've got this very pulpy Indiana Jones, Tomb Raider idea of hacking through the jungle to try to find these cool things. And I think that just the map and the way it's set up really lends itself to that. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about this bit. Have you, have you done? Wanna, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I kind of want to get stickers for the map too. <laughs> uh, yeah. I saw some people who uh, they're mounting it on poster boards so they could use push pins to mark things. Oh, okay. Nice. And, and I really like that. So, how many of you? How many of you have run a an exploration style adventure before? Because that's not a new concept in D anD. d But they don't do it very often. Um, so, I'm just curious. Have you, have any of the the other three of you run uh, this blank map explore? You know, hex style exploration adventure before? Uh, closest thing, I guess, would be Out of the Abyss in the way that it was like kind of. I gave my players like a general like map idea mm-hmm. but they didn't know what anything was because it's the underdark and and no one really knew anything about it um but that's probably the closest i've gotten to that sure. yeah I've, uh, I've never done an exploration one so i'm i'm actually that's one of the reasons why i'm excited is it's something something new and fresh new yes yeah and i yeah. think i think that's part of the appeal right is that they don't do this kind of thing very often um, and, and they threw it in this time um and so i've done it before and it can be a lot of fun it can also get tedious eventually i think they threw in enough uh really interesting locations um in in this jungle that it's gonna it's it'll break up the random encounters with something a little uh, what will effectively become a little mini side quest or whatever you know go explore the the floating heart of uptow in the middle of the valley and that kind of stuff Um, i think it would also be a good idea to when you start getting close to certain features bear in mind that they would be noticeable like the floating heart of uptown right um you I, I might start saying that you know the players could see that in the distance when they were scouting from the treetops or whatever from like you know two or three hexes away because that it gives, it gives them a target and somewhere to go so they're not just sort of wandering doing random encounter after random encounter hoping to bump into something interesting um so just some tips from the the, the one time i ran a, a big exploration um adventure was that um you know give them somewhere to go uh and something to look for and features to to encounter and to interact with or else it does sort of become um you know 20 days of wandering in in the underdark uh in out of the abyss and it's like okay we've got to find ways to speed this up you know yeah i definitely ran into that issue actually when i was running out of the abyss where it was like okay we've been wandering for forever now like what's gonna happen like we can only do so many random encounters like so you really need to know when you need to kind of step in as a dm and be like 
here's a very obvious clue. Hint, hint, wink, wink. You should go here. Right. Um, so you have to make sure that you don't fall into that trap of forever wandering it with no goal in mind. Yep, absolutely. So any other thoughts on the exploration piece? You've got all kinds of stuff here, right? You've got the the goblins. Uh, was it the goblins with the city that flings away like a catapult uh, when they're in danger? Um, <laughs> you've got the 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 pirate uh, haven at one spot. You've got the the floating heart. The the red wizards are, are running around out in the jungle. Arctis, Simber, and Dragon Bay are running around out in there. You can go find, check out Mesro, which used to kind of be the major city of Chalt. Um, and Port Nianzaro was kind of a new outpost. Uh, now, of course, Mesro is gone and, and it's ruins and Nianzaro has sort of grown up into the, to become the new big um, headquarters of people venturing out into the jungle. Um, and so Mesro is kind of an interesting place because I've, I've been there before. My players have been there before. I could see an interest in going and checking it out and see what's going on. Uh, one of the places I'm I'm looking forward to, and I'm hoping that they end up at, or I will steer them in the direction of, is uh, Kir Sabal with the Aarakocra and whatnot. Mm. I think that that storyline is really compelling and fun. Um, you know, it reminds me of Avatar: The Last Airbender a little bit that they're mm-hmm. like living up on this cliff, and you know, they're bird people and whatnot, and they've got the the uh, the 17 year old princess whose name I'm not going to attempt to butcher uh-huh. right now, and her, and her little brother, and I don't know that that whole um, kind of storyline and area seems really compelling and interesting, and it could be a good way to drop hints about um, player places for your players to go to, especially because I mean they're they're flying creatures, so they could really easily drop hints about what's going on because they've seen it from above. So I think it would be a good way to kind of guide your players if you need to and and have a more relaxed encounter before, you know, the meat grinder. (laughs) Yeah, sure. And the princess actually specifically ties you into Omu as well Um, because she's like, the the princess of of yeah. for, former royalty of the city of Omu, right? Exactly. Um, so, so you so, can really tie it in yeah. if well, they end up at Kirsabal. And you can give them you you can give them a pointer. You can be like, okay, here's another place you can go. Ha ha, guess what? That's where the real story is, right? Yeah. Um so actually I, I like I like Kirsabal because so you can use it to point to Omu, but I think there's also the uh like the air cooker can do a dance and give the party a flying speed for several days. But as part of that, they have to go to um, Nangalore, I think it is, which is another really cool location. Um, so I feel like if you d- kind of direct them towards Kir Sabal, you can use that to kind of ping them over a couple locations in the jungle, like mm-hmm. very direct, like, hey, here's where to go, and then to Omu and get a mix of, hey, here's fun jungle exploration and ruins in the jungle and weird encounters, but we're going to get you to the right place. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there are a couple different paths like that. I mean, the same with the uh, if you go to the Naga Oracle, who can point you to Ra- uh, Rasmusi and then to Omu as well. Like there are a few of these small little paths. I feel like you can take to direct the party towards Omu, and I you kind of choose the ones you want to change to get chain together. I really like the idea of my my uh, P- the PCs in my game who you know are inevitably always like they're the big tough badasses, right? Um, and, and then forcing them to sort of humiliate themselves and go through the different trials to see the the Naga Oracle, <laughs> you know, uh, with what is it, the feather and eating the frog or crawling on yeah, their belly a, or whatever. Yeah. You have the flower that's like orange and blue that they have uh-huh. to get. And then there's the feather that they have to get. And then there's the like the third step to actually see the Oracle is like they have to lay on the ground and 
and a snake like crawl on their belly, crawls yeah. down their a snake like crawls down their throat. Oh, that's like, right, that's right, yeah. And I, when I was reading it, I was just like, did I? Am I tired? Did I read that wrong? Let me go back and reread this. Is this for real? Like, so there's some interesting things that you can get your players to do. It I find hilarious. Absolutely. And, and that doesn't stop there. Like, uh, and this takes me to where I wanted to go next. So, so eventually, whether through random chance or or through bumping into the 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 really rare smattering of clues that are out there, the party ends up in the city of Omu. Uh, and in the city of Omu, there's there's other instances like that as well. Because um, I think it was in the city before you got into the dungeon, right? There was the whole uh, ceremony with the frog mask, or was that down in the dungeon? There's this whole thing where you have to put on a, a frog mask and go through these different steps. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's in the actual tomb in the of the nine gods. Get one okay. of the it's one of the shrines. Okay. Yeah. Well, and so that and so the shrines are. It's tricky. So the shrines are part of the the city itself. Within the city, you can visit the different the. So, if you haven't uh, heard about this, the there are there are these nine trickster spirits that align to the nine alignments in D anD D. That sort of um, were these spirits who showed up in Omu back in the day, presented themselves as God, took the form of different animals, uh, and then Aserak showed up and and destroyed them all because they're not actually gods, um, but their spirits are still sort of bound into their tombs and there's still shrines to them in the city and there's features like there's almost a little mini exploration to be done in the city and navigate sort of the situation there because the red wizards are around and then Rosna sees around and he's kind of an enemy there's a tribe of grungs around um you know and there's these nine shrines to visit you know uh, there's the there's the the t-rex running around that everybody's scared of and you just sort of avoid um one of the shrines has a frog hemoth in it so they're throwing in some stuff from volo's guide like there's all kinds of weird and fun things to do in the city itself yeah i think the the like kind of adventure within the adventure there in the city is really great um like the different ideas of omu kind of remind me of the old game show legends of the hidden temple if anyone remembers Mm. that it just kind of reminds me of that uh (laughs) when when reading through it i think that there's a lot of depth to it to to kind of force your characters to explore the city um and kind of encounter the different tabaxi or the wanti or Mm -hmm. whatever is living throughout the city so I think that having those different shrines is a good way to get them exploring and moving around the city and seeing the strange oddities that are kind of left there uh, now that, you know, normal civilization is not living there. It's kind of overrun with monsters. And the jungle is sort of reclaiming it. And there's a- Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I also like the idea that, like, through the entire adventure up to this point, there's been hints of this this great horrible uh, uh, being out there in the jungle, Raz Nasi, who's raising a horde of undead, and he's this Yanti character, or whatever. And then you get into it and you meet him, and it's like, well, yeah, and he is all those things, but he could also totally end up becoming an ally uh, because he's being affected by the the curse of the soulmonger as well. And if he finds out that the party's going to fix this thing. Um, he'd be, you know, he's, he's going to be really fast to say, oh, you're going to go down and take care of this thing so that I don't have to slowly die. That sounds great. Let me, how can I help? You know, Uh, I'll be your, I could see him, uh, him and his, his little temple with all of his undead and his, his followers, whatever, very easily becoming sort of the base of operations because it's a safe place, safe place where, um, you know, 
Roz and the sea will keep the party safe while, so they can rest while, before they go back down into the dungeon again. Yeah, these are these are good points. Um, with Rast and C, whose name I have trouble saying for some reason, um, I like the idea that he could become an ally or or just stay as a foe. Mm-hmm. I I know with a lot of my players, they tend to go the route of uh, almost murder hoboey. Sure. Um, so I don't think it would ever work with players I end up playing with, but it's a really good uh, potential thought there that he could become an ally and help them since he wants to save himself. But I kind of like the um, the story that goes along with it where his assistant, whose name I can't remember, the night speaker, I believe she's called. Um, I, I really like her storyline where she kind of works with the characters and, and, you know, might betray them depending on how well they do with different tasks. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different intrigue you can introduce with, with their storyline. Uh, Finthea? Finthea. Fin- right. Yeah. I just remember her because she had a the the picture of her is just awesome looking. Yeah, yeah. I tweeted the picture and now I can't even remember what her name is, uh, but she's definitely one of like my favorite NPCs in terms of like the way she looks and and what kind of things she can bring to the story. So there's a lot of cool and interesting things to do in the city of Omu itself. Eventually. Um, depending on how you deal with Rasnasi, either going through the little mini dungeon that, that he inhabits um, or allying with him and making it a, a safe haven or what have you, uh, eventually you end up finding the entrance to the actual Tomb of the Nine Gods, right? So you visited the shrines of the Nine Gods and now you're going into the Tomb of the Nine Gods um, wherein the, the bodies of the Nine Trickster Gods, quote, bodies, are being held. Um, and then... And that's when you've entered the actual sort of homage to the to the tomb of horrors, right? This is the tomb that that Aserak created, um, that that nobody's ever been into and survived. There's the remnants of a former adventuring party is down there that you'll bump into every now and then, um, you know. And it's got the actual, uh, you know, each each of the trickster spirits uh, are bound into a magic item, and so you you pick up the magic item and they. They sort of jump into your head and, and influence you and or possess you or encourage you or whatever, right? Uh, and you're going through all the death traps and, and eventually working your way down, what is it, five levels until you you find the, the, the baby death god. So, so what do we think of the dungeon? It's um, – so I overall, I really like it. There's some really fun, interesting things here. Um, I feel like a lot of the um, a lot of the puzzles, uh, it, there's rewards for player cleverness, mm-hmm. um, and it's not all just like okay, well, did you roll high enough on your on your perception? It's a hey, so you you find these uh, these little holes where you think like maybe something will come out, and if the players are smart, oh, well, they'll stuff them with acid or not acid, uh, with like wax or like bits of cloth, mm. and then that'll save them. There's a lot of things like that where playing smart and logical can kind of help them out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I mean, it's death trap dungeons are very difficult to do well, um, and it, honestly, like as, as much as I love the original Tomb of Horrors, it's not really good. Like it's, it's fun, <laughs> but it's not necessarily a good it, or good design. It's clever. It's fun as a DM. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so I feel like this is a little bit more fair to the players, but it is still man, this thing is still brutal. Like it's. 
Well, and it's not just talk- more, it's not just more fair to the players. I also feel like it's a lot more interesting. Like there's there's yes. there's opportunities for role playing encounters and for uh, you know clever clever actions and and uh, you know it's not just a can I survive? It's a I've got I've got a thing I'm trying to accomplish and let me let me mess with things or let me let me wander into the pocket dimension mirror universe of the dungeon and, and goof around in there for a while and like there's all kinds of weird and clever things in here that I think are, are in, in many ways it's it's a much better designed dungeon than the original Tomb of Horrors but it maintains yeah. some of the like the homages. To the, to the original tomb, like yeah. there's every now and then there's the there's the the what, the four armed gargoyle that crushes gems. That's that's straight out of the original. Of course, the green the green devil face features prominently in multiple cases, and and I like how like the green devil face appears multiple times. Uh, and everybody knows the story of the original Green Devil face from from Tomb of Horrors, where the mouth, the the darkness inside the mouth, is actually a, a sphere of annihilation. You touch it, you die. Right. Um, so everybody's already aware of that. And then, like, you run into four or five Green Devil faces, and that's not what's going on at all. And then yeah, one of them that threw me off. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it well, and it it gives you a nice sense. Of, I imagine it giving the players a nice sense of security. I was like, okay, they're going to do the devil face, but they're not going to do the fear of annihilation part. That'll be fine. And I then don't one, know and that. then and then one of them is, and it's like, yeah, you got him. <laughs> that would that would make me feel worse. I'd be tense. I especially like if I encountered one and it wasn't you know the sphere, I'd be like, okay, well that's different but whatever but after encountering a second devil phase it would be like there's a catch there's a catch Mm -hmm. somewhere and i would be on constant edge every time i would see one so because because you're smarter than my players will be (laughs) but you wouldn't automatically assume that it's going to kill you because you've run into a few now that haven't so you'd have to at least check it out and play with it you know i'd be getting that 10 foot pole real fast (laughs) (laughs) and that's fine (laughs) One thing that they uh, one thing they add in here that I, I that I really like because it kind of answers an old question where you're not supposed to really think about like how do all these traps reset and how do they keep working, mm-hmm. and they actually add in a thing about they like oh yeah there's all these albino dwarves who are enslaved and their job is to go around and repair things and reset traps, and in theory you know you can catch some of these and you can interrogate them and you can work with them, mm-hmm. um, and I find that that's really clever and yeah. really fun that in theory you could get in with one of the I mean, the trap you know, setters, the, yeah. Yeah, the, the blue-collar maintenance worker who's just kind of here because this is his job, and he works a 9-to-5 reset in the Tomb <laughs> of Annihilation. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's like, these little little notes in some of the, the traps as well that, oh, if, if the players, you know, uh, trigger this trap in, in, what, D4 plus one days or whatever, uh, you know, they, they come back and reset it and, and whatever. Yeah. So you, you can see that it's sort of still functioning and it's being maintained. And there's, like, the, the, the lead... Uh, main, maintenance guy, I guess, of the of the tomb uh, was it Withers? I think is his name. Yeah, basically. Uh, so He's kind of like the warden almost. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and and um, I I don't know if I like or don't like. I think it would depend on how things play out. The idea of the the random skeletons wandering around with with um, shapes on their head that gets used as a key at the very end. Oh, yeah. I, I like that they did add a note, though, where it's like if you didn't throw them in elsewhere and you're at the door, basically, you can just kind of throw them in the room nearby. Right. <laughs> you know, so you don't have if you forget about it at some point, because I, I have a feeling that dungeons going to take a really long time to run. So if you forget about, you know, throwing in these skeleton keys, you can just kind of have them conveniently there or oh, yeah. just have them there because you don't 
care enough to put well, them elsewhere. You mentioned how long the dungeon's going to take to run. Like, I feel like... It's going to take a while. <laughs> I, I feel like in terms of, of time to run, like, there's effectively three different parts to to this adventure. Uh, exploration, Omu, and the dungeon. And mm-hmm. I feel like each one of them could, like, be a little mini campaign. Like, this, yeah, ho- this really. whole thing is, like, three mini campaigns, not not one campaign. Like, it, this could take a really long time to play. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like, you know, what's the saying where it's like, um, you know, five days of travel in D and D takes five minutes in real life, but like, you know, it's the opposite. Whereas like, you know, five minutes in D and D is actually like five hours spent talking about it. Like, you know, your players end up talking out, you know, a certain situation in real life for, you know, 30 minutes trying to decide what to do or how to solve a problem or, or a riddle or whatever. And it's like, I could see all these riddles and clues and handouts taking a very long time. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, absolutely. And, and at the same time, I can't think of anything, that, any, any one part of it that doesn't seem like it'd be a blast. Um, I just don't don't pick this up and run it thinking that it's gonna, you're going to run a quick campaign of Tomb of Annihilation because <laughs> I think this is a campaign that's going to take some time. Yeah, Especially if you're doing all of it. Now, they, they do have they do have at the beginning there are some some tips or whatever for DMs who want to to run it quicker. Um, you know, you, there's there's this whole like just skip the whole exploration thing or or do a a narrative description of it and move on or teleport them straight to, to Omu or, uh, you know, do it that way. And so there's, there's ways of doing it faster, but, but you skip all the cool stuff in those other parts by doing it. So. Yeah. You don't want to skip the good things. You definitely, uh, and it's all good things. So I don't know. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But that's why it's going to take a real long time. So by the time I run this, this. by the time I run this this adventure, adventure, they'll publish four more, you know? Yeah. That's what happened with me and running out of the abyss. Like it took Mm -hmm. me so long to run that with my players that it was like, all right, uh, well, we're about (laughs) two modules past. Um, I guess I'll pick up where, where the next one is. That's why my current campaign is a mashup of both uh, Princes of the Apocalypse and Out of the Abyss happening at the same time so that I can sort of <laughs> check two of them off the list and move on You're to other things. You're underground. You're underground. You're underground. You're yeah. underground. Perfect. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm making Make it work. work. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, and, and the dungeon is... Uh, we mentioned the dungeon's full of these cool things, right? We talked about the, the weird mirror universe. We talked about um, um, the, the skeletons running around and the the... Uh, I guess they're technically whites, the albino dwarves, because I think they're undead, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't survive down there. Uh, yeah. No, I, oh, are they? Maybe. I thought they were just the regular you know, albino there's so, dwarves. There's so many of them that I, I honestly couldn't answer now that I well, think about it. I have like, the book in front of me, and I can look it up. And then I do, it. too. It's just a matter of finding the right page. Um, but another thing that I wanted to point out that I really like about the dungeon in general is that uh, there's essentially like these notes from Aserac just kind of like taunting your players with how he's going to kill them with the traps. Like, you know, hit one of his warnings is like, walk through water with weapon in hand, slake your shadow at the font, uh, the vulture is the first step write the gods, the walls of history, tell all. And that relates to, like, these different traps or things that are going to happen to the players around, you know, the dungeon. So I like that he's kind of, mm-hmm. like, putting it in their faces. Like, here's a hint. 
let's see if you can figure out what it means in time to save yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah. I like that it's it's kind of foreshadowing what's going to happen. And that's a throwback to the original as well, because in the original, there's if, early on if you if you do the right things, you can find like uh, a poem or whatever, um, a bit of verse. But if you really follow along with that bit of verse, like every line is giving you a clue about every room until you get to the end. Um, but the odds that your players are going to to put two and two together and figure that out <laughs> uh, seem pretty slim, right? It, it, it comes off as a bunch of gibberish. And then uh, you know, every now and then they're like, oh, hey, that was that thing, right? That, that was that one line or whatever, right? But the, then in my experience, then they move on to the next one and they, they don't necessarily just move down to the next line and figure out um, what the clue is, right? Yeah. So, so that's, an, that's part of the homage um, that I think they did well. I also like the room uh, further down, or the rooms further down, where you've got the the giant gears, um, and so it's one of those those things that you don't see very often in a D and D campaign, but it's certainly something you see in video games. I think fairly often, where um, you've got the the rooms on these giant gears, and then there's a control room, so you can actually like change the arrangement of the rooms uh, and make the gears turn a little bit and, and whatever, and yeah. so. There's little light, lots of cool little things in there. There's the giant juggernaut thing. Um, you know, you go into to what appears to be a dead end, and you accidentally like uh, trigger this juggernaut creature. The 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 secret door slides away, and this giant rolling, you know, uh, uh, what's the steamroller <laughs> creature comes rolling yes. down at you, and you gotta like stone t- t- juggernaut, and, yeah, take <laughs> it out that- before it destroys you. Now, I know that's a classic one. Was that in the original Tomb of Horrors? Or was that a different I, old school it is, one? It is a classic, and I know it's an homage to the, to, to something back in the day. Uh, but having recently run the tomb, I don't remember it being in there. So if it was, it was it was further down, and we didn't get to the very end. So is that, yeah, I mean, I, I know it's from somewhere. I just don't remember where. Yeah. Um, and the other the other thing with that gears, they also imply that you know it runs all of the things above. <laughs> And it's powered via a portal to to Mechanus, mm-hmm. and that's like, yeah, okay, this is how we this is how we power everything. Mm-hmm. We just make a portal to the Clockwork Realm, and yeah, it's good enough. Seems legit. Sure. Why not? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and there's there, and there was there was one place where it was like, um, I'm trying to remember what it was now off the top of my head, but it was it was there's a few places where it's like, do this thing, and a random creature shows up and attacks you, right? There was like the mirror, uh, the mirror where you know you throw enough creatures into it, and and it starts spitting out the things that that have been caught into it. Um, uh, but I, I particularly like the one where it was like, you know, you do this thing and a demon shows up and you fight it and then you do this. Or, and if you do this thing, then this thing shows up and you fight it. And then if you do this thing, a Modron shows up and it's confused and it looks around for a while and tries to go back home, but it can't. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Modrons actually appear twice uh, in, throughout the adventure. Um, yeah, yeah I, I was shocked to see them pop up in there. Yeah. Like. They also randomly like were kind of in out of the abyss as well, where it was like, oh, I didn't expect these guys to show mm-hmm. up. Now, you know, okay, how the hell did they get to the Underdark? Well, yeah. you know, how are they going to try and get home? Well, they can't, so it, they're just trying. <laughs> it makes it makes me wonder if they're not sort of laying these seeds because we know that they do that, right? They lay these seeds for future yeah. adventures. Now that we've seen Modron sort of just be sprinkled in every now and then, maybe they're leading up to uh, the Great Modron March. I don't know if you're familiar with that old Planescape adventure. Uh, but the idea is that is that is that uh, the Modrons, like all of them, um, go on a unif- u- uh, singular march through the plains, 
uh, and it happens every so many years. Uh, and, well, and, and the way they worded it in Out of the Abyss is that they were trying to do the march. They were the trying march. to join the march, like, yeah. Yeah, they were trying to like, like Yeah, they got like left something. there 100 years ago or something. Yeah. So, yeah. so I wonder so, like if we're not going to get a storyline where they're finally going to do what people have been asking and, and get out of the realms and do so by the great Mojan march where the Mojans show up and you follow them along and you go and visit a bunch of other planes and you kind of get a little planescape into it. Like they've been sprinkling Mojans in heavily enough. I feel like they could pull that off. Given how much planar stuff is looking to be in Xanathar's Guide to Everything, that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm anticipating. Okay. And I mean, I'm a playtester, but I we, but we I haven't seen anything um, past Tomb of Annihilation, so I have no idea what's coming up. I'm just speculating at this point. Hmm. Could be some interesting stuff coming could, up. Could then it fun. sounds like. Yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Uh, I've got a couple of like, kind of overall thoughts about the adventure, unless you yeah. want to, there's anything else you want to discuss about the tomb. No, I'm good. Go ahead. Um, so yeah, one thing I wanted to, uh, uh, I kind of wanted to bring up just because uh, I know it's important for some people is, especially the way that Chult used to be run, it used to be very much a, this is, I mean, it's basically an amalgamation of a lot of African stereotypes. Hmm. Um, and in this case, like from from reading kind of what's been done in the past and what's been done here, it seems like Watsi's definitely like progressed a little bit, but there's still um, there's the still reason, much to be desired. Yes, I feel like there's a lot to be desired. Um, and because I'm writing this for a bunch of a bunch of British people, a bunch of English uh, English and Scottish people, they've got this. There's a whole other kind of background and history here with colonialism mm-hmm. that I I wasn't prepared for. So things like the Flaming Fist and kind of what they're doing, like, no, we're just going to settle here and we're going to take all their natural resources and mm-hmm. decide that we kind of own this place. Yeah, no, that was the original yeah. concept. Uh, was, yeah. <laughs> was that that was, was a, 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 a symbolic of colonialism, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's just one of those areas where there, there's, a much, there's a lot of sensitivity here that I, I personally was just not prepared for. Mm. Um, and my players had to be like, look, we don't want like people in masks yelling ooga booga. We don't want this weird colonial presence there that like that makes us uncomfortable. And it's just one of those things I want to make sure that other people are aware of and kind of consider. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I can see, de- depending on your perspective and your background, some of this stuff. And I, I think I think Watsi has tried, but you know there there's some there's definitely some stumbling here. And it's just one of the things I wanted to bring up. Make sure people are aware that that could be an issue depending on who your group is and kind of what they're expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think even at the beginning, they include the whole, like, the clicks in the language thing. And I was kind of like, ooh, yeah. ooh, ooh, why? Um, there's certain things that just really aren't necessary and could have been changed to fit uh, a more, you know, kind of modern point of view and a more diverse view without that kind of offensiveness in my opinion without following the stereotypes yeah Yeah. i mean how much of it is and i'm not trying to make excuses uh but how much of it is them trying to take something that was an offensive stereotype and and instead turn it into honoring real world diversity like i mean there are legitimate languages with clicks in them that's that's a thing but i think there's a very fine line there is yeah and and, you know from the sounds of it they don't really have Anyone that sh- I guess could could speak better than uh, I guess just a, a bunch of you know white guys uh, mm. on it. You know, I, I feel like if you brought in uh, a more diverse staff to read this, to play test this, to mm-hmm. comment on this, uh, certain things could have been done better. 
Sure, or at yes. least, or at least a consultant, right? They brought in uh, the Pendleton Ward as as a consultant for the 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 story, but he doesn't add necessarily that perspective either. Yeah, and and I'll admit, I I also had similar feelings about mm-hmm. it um, as uh, Allison and Jonathan. Uh, so, like, particularly like when it came to the artwork, I was like really happy actually that we finally get a lot of artwork with um, mm-hmm. uh, humans with darker skin tones in mm-hmm. particular. That, I do wish they were a little better at rendering hair because mm-hmm. that was like the only thing I saw that was kind of weird. So, but overall I was like, and I, I liked a few of the things that they tried to say that like there was uh, a big civilization, like a, a rich civilization that existed. And then uh, some other events happened that kind of pushed them out to the, um, to the coastline. So it wasn't because so, one of the problems with colonialism was that they basically said no one was there. Uh, and they made up stories about why these ruins existed, in, particularly in parts of Africa. Mm-hmm. So I think they addressed that part, but there were definitely parts that were that still felt a little more like it was still colonialism. Uh, right. And and then the other part for me was the use of the word dandy a lot. <laughs> oh, I didn't catch that. Uh, I think they used it. Uh, they meant it in terms of like people who uh, were potentially a little more had some means to them so they didn't have to work hard and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But that term also has uses and like sure. has been used to, to, uh, I didn't know that wink and nod to gay people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay. um, I didn't know so it. I, I didn't even notice dandy and I didn't know this, these meanings. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So today I learned. Yeah. I didn't notice yeah, it. I didn't notice it either, but, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and and they, as far as I know, like I looked at at the characters where I saw I happened to notice it, and none of them like it wasn't meant as a hint that they were. And then you did have one uh, small group where it said uh, a a man and his husband, mm-hmm. which like was very like definitely inclusive. So it's like, oh great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 it's not like they don't. It's not an issue. It's just a a, a description of who the person is, right? Right. Um, yeah, yeah no. and, and Wizards has mentioned that they're trying to be more diverse and mm-hmm. um, kind of remove things that have in the past been offensive. Uh, so, so clearly they're working towards it. They could always do better, but like I, I'm just happy to see that they're working towards being better and, and putting in more uh, or putting out more content that is relatable to more people. And you know. Hopefully they get a lot of good feedback from this module and can, you know, learn to do things better, you know, in the next iteration of Cholt or in the next iteration of, you know, whatever else in Faerun. Sure. And I I think there's a lot of potential here to like this is the first real adventure we've had where it is it's possible to be immersed in a non-Western based um, culture and society and, and, and explore that a little bit. I don't. I don't know that I trust that most gaming groups will do that, but but I feel like there's an there's an opportunity here to to engage in a little bit of that. Although there is also the themes of colonialism going on, and and that's that's I imagine intentional. I mean, that was intentional. I know in, in the way that Chalt was originally designed decades ago. So yeah, and yeah. from what I understand, they've they've made a lot of progress versus how Chalt is now, and kind of the strength of like of the locals and the leaders in Port Nianzaro versus how it was. Mm you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, especially. Yeah. And one of the things I think that they, that would be a cool product to come out is, uh, finding, so they did a, an interesting job of, um, a lot of the main groups, uh, 
like the Harpers and stuff have people obviously in Chult. And there are some groups that are specific to Chult, but it would be cool now to start getting those groups out in the wider world too, right? Because this mm. is a this is a mercantile uh, merchant group, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they definitely have people throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would be a cool, and I, I bet you it could even be a DMs Guild product where people start saying, hey, here's some chult people mm-hmm. everywhere else and groups and what they're doing. And it's and it's um, worth pointing out, since you mentioned DMs Guild, that they launched the, the was it, uh, DMs Guild Adept program with this, where they've they tapped several... Um, Sort of up and coming designers from DMs Guild uh, to 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 create um, Tomb of Annihilation linked products on DMs Guild that have sort of been promoted by Wizards as as um, things that could uh, you know sort of officially tie in. I, I know a uh, friend of the show, uh, former member of our of our family, uh, James Intercasso, uh, wrote one of those as a, as a different introduction into the story that's getting pretty good reviews. Uh, so there's some things there to worth checking out if people want to sort of expand their experience with uh, Chalt and the Tomb of Annihilation. So. All right. Any other last thoughts? Because there's other things I could talk about, but we're well over an hour at this point. Yeah. So. <laughs> My um, only thought is that I'm glad that I am slowly getting together a D&D group here in the Los Angeles area, and I might get to finally run this soon. So woo-hoo. super hyped that I bought it and can actually use it. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, the only thing I would, uh, I guess, kind of plug when anything else is uh, Teo Sabadia, who goes by AlphaStream. Mm-hmm. He posted this very uh, small thing on his blog, which is just alphastream.org, um, about creating a player-focused Tomb of Annihilation campaign. Mm-hmm. And it's a good kind of talk through, like, hey, here are kind of the different uh, factions, themes, bits and pieces in like within the game. So, like, do you want to do a lot of tomb raiding? Do you want to do more pirates? Do you want to do more, uh, you know, the politics in Port Nine Zaro? And it kind of starts with the players, and it does a really good job of kind of walking through the salt and helping the players kind of tailor the focus of the game. Hmm. Um, like it's just good D and D and D advice overall. Mm-hmm. But he uses Tomb of Annihilation as a starting point, and uh, I found it really helpful and a lot of good information. I definitely stole from it liberally, so it's uh, worth taking a look at. Cool. Uh, I also uh, found as much as we talked about Modrons being sprinkled in, um, one of the other. Th- groups that is sort of sprinkled into this adventure just very ever so slightly is the red wizards and i wonder if they're not because they've been sprinkled in through a lot of adventures now as well i wonder if they're not gearing up to become uh, a featured villain in in a future product or if they're just going to be sort of the perennial um b-tiered or or c-tier villain or or uh encounter um and and also included uh, an NPC that that people might know from from former novels, so it kind of ties into to several of those things there, um, because the Red Wizards are just sort of they're there in Omu and they're doing their own thing, but they don't really play prominently through a lot of things, and then they show up at the end in that conclusionary piece of you know, and then if this is how things go down, um, you know, they go back to Thay and and admit their failure and take their punishment and and will try again and hunt you down and do whatever so. I have a feeling that Zastam is not going to be happy, so maybe we'll see something from them in the future uh, mm-hmm. regarding, you know, Red Wizards. I really like the Red Wizards of Thay, so I really hope we see them more in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think there's potential there, that, and that could take us into a whole different part of, of the realms as well. So, Modrons or Red Wizards, what do we think we're going to get in the, in the next, or in, what are we, which is going to be featured in a storyline first? What do you think? 
Give me them red wizards. You red wizards for No whammy. No whammy. <laughs> uh, I think, I don't know if legends are going to play a big role, but I th- I'm expecting a, play, a Planescape type book. Okay. So you're going to guess maybe Modrons. All right. Uh, Tracy, do you want to vote or do you have any last thoughts? Space hamsters? I don't know. Space hamsters. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, I also want to point out the uh, the concept of the trickster spirits. We never talked much about. So there's the the tomb still contains those spirits, and and the players can get sort of semi possessed by them, and they get certain they get a flaw and some abilities by for from them. And then at the end, spoiler alert, when a Sarek shows up, uh, they get sort of extra boost to take on a Sarek because he's way out of your league. Um, and so the 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 trickster spirits help you defeat a Sarek supposedly. Um, I also you know, found it. I found I'm it glad inter- that you added the spoiler warning at the very end. By the way, you know, well, <laughs> it's very, very important at this point to add spoilers. Well, it's the first time I mentioned that little twist that a Sarah actually shows up at the end. Uh, you know, we generally assume that it, we're reviewing an adventure. If spoilers are going to matter to you, then you shouldn't be listening to a review of the adventure. Um, I mean, he's on the cover. Yeah, so he is. On, that's true. He is on the cover. Um, in any case, so so he shows up and, and the, the spirits help you defeat him. Uh, I thought it was an interesting twist because at first I'm reading through it and I'm like, oh my gosh, like you're getting a ton of magic items. Every single one of these trickster spirits comes bound to a magic item. And then there's other magic items. And there's also a bunch of legendary items that aren't necessarily magical that have like story and quest uh, bits going on with them, which I thought was really cool as well. Lots, lots of flavor going on in here. Uh, uh, but I thought it was interesting that like – they're, I'm like they're getting magic items at a much faster rate than I'm used to for fifth edition D and D. Is that an homage sort of back to the original as well? And even if it is, um, because they're tied to these spirits, once you walk out of the tomb, the the items are gone. Right? They disappear. So it's like, oh well, man. <laughs> and, unless the spirits decide otherwise, I unless, believe it yeah. said that they can still let them. They can like choose to let them get out with right. it. The, the spirits can can reward you for for yeah. placating them or pleasing them or whatever. But at the same time, I also like uh, the Aserak section of that conclusion of what's Aserak do after all of this. It's like, well, his phylactery is somewhere. Well, out in one there. d ten days. Yeah, in one d ten days, <laughs> he, just, he just comes back. It's no big deal because like his phylactery is hidden in such a way that not even divine magic or the gods can find it. Uh, so there's no way you're going to ultimately get rid of a Sarak. He'll come back. And then he talks about how – and he's going to use his greatest weapon against, or his greatest ally uh, against the players, that being time. Because he'll live forever and they'll die of old yeah. age at some point and then he'll come back and torture and their descendants. And he's just getting smarter. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, he's going to come back and torture their descendants and, and like just be gone for that entire time afterwards. Like – how would it, how much would it suck to be their descendants? Like you just think you're living a normal life and everything's fine, and this lich keeps showing up and messing with me. Like why? What did I do? Well, I guess it sounds like their family line won't go on for very yeah, long. Yeah, it's not. Like I kind of <laughs> want to turn that into a thing now. I kind of want to start torturing um, my PCs in my campaign with like some <laughs> some some super powerful uh, lich or whatever. And they're like, why are you messing with me? And then you know, by the end of the campaign, they found out it's because they had a great great grand uncle who. who you know, pissed on his grave or something. So. <laughs> uh, oh, I guess uh, one other thing that we didn't mention uh, that I wanted to bring up really quickly is the new character backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could be an anthropologist or an archaeologist. So I just thought that was a really nice touch and, and could be a really good way to, to uh, you know, get your characters really in character. Um and, and into this, you know, this module. Uh, it's very Indiana Jonesy. Yes, and make um, it very Indiana Jonesy. Yeah. Yeah, and it also helps with the whole language thing if you're an anthropologist. Uh, so, so very helpful uh, for this module. Cool. 
All right, we, we have talked for like almost an hour and 20 minutes at this point, so I think we have to wrap the episode up and, and, and say goodbye. So we'd like to thank our guests. Uh, Jonathan, where can people find you? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at John underscore M underscore green, uh, or you can find me on Performance Check, which is right here on the Tome Show feed. Awesome. And Allison, where can people find you? All right. The uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter. Um, I'm at charm underscore underscore person. Um, and that's probably where you'll find me the most. Eventually, I'll be streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Eloana. But uh, I keep saying that and it keeps getting put off. So maybe one day you'll see me streaming D&D related things. But yeah, Twitter is the best place to find me. Awesome. Uh, and we'd also say thank you to our patrons from patreon.com slash the tome show. Everyone who shops at Amazon and DM skills with our affiliate links at www.thetomeshow.com where you can also find other great tome show shows. And if you want to get a hold of us, you can contact us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. That comes straight to me, and then I can get it out to anybody else who needs to see it. You can also call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME if you prefer voicemail. And that's episode 292, where we possessed by trickster god spirits and killed the baby death god. In this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D. Unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D. Unless you want to, like me. You don't think we fancy. Let me teach you about class. Priest, fighter, road, catch a kick. Your ass. You don't think we street. Look at this table full of ice. You don't think we hard. Just touch my dice. You don't think we can get it at the birds and the bees. I'm a pallet in the suits, but a thief in the shoes. My character shoots because they fold to the brim. With maxed out sass, out to open my DM. He think he in charge. We don't worry about him. So for when he out to get us, be like Jack the Swim. Master player, traitor, master creator. Look at me, master NPC. Generator. Just cause she your master doesn't mean you have to hate her Got a boy, I don't need to be no master later I don't care if over there your character is dying Cause it's just like baseball, there's no crying You wanna join in, now you start realizing We're the cool, cool nerds, call me Neil deGrasse Tyson D to the R to the A, gun S, D and D The dungeon master sets up a scenario Then he or she asks where would you like to go? We talk as a group, then decide together. There's no winning, yo. We could play forever. Stay right there, let me answer your questions. I'll clear up all your misconceptions. Stay right there, let me answer your questions. I'll clear up all your misconceptions. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to. Like me. I'm on the wall.